So, it struck me the other day, once again, that an insane culture redefines insanity. In an insane culture, the sane become insane. If you live in the Nazi culture, and you believe that it is wrong to persecute people because they are different than you, you are wrong. You are by definition insane. So if you lived in the United States in the 19th century and you believed that people of African descent were in fact not just equals, they, they might even have been better than you, you would be insane. Anyway, I watched a documentary the other day on boxers, middleweight boxers, the four kings it was called, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns, and Marvin Hagler. I had watched them back in the day, and much work was done then to make Tommy Hearns and Roberto Duran out to be demons, bad guys. It was amazing. In the way that had, that had been done with Sonny Liston some years before, and Hagler was always dismissed somehow. So those are the three of the four leaving one who the media decided to try and elevate somehow. And to preface all this, I am a boxing fan. I confess, and more so back then when I might have boxed myself, being middleweightish. From Ali on down, these men and now women mean a lot to me. And as I go on, I am more and more fascinated by the bad boys. The ones they uh, call the bad boys. I made them bad myself for a while. But now, Joe Frazier fascinates all the way. Ali was all kinds of a genius, a sort of uh, Shakespearean genius, Tyson in his fall and rise again, Floyd Mayweather and the big British gypsy fury, the current one, all fascinating somehow, all archetypal. Maybe because, to me, the merit is so unambiguous and how they handle it, these Olympians, these Achilles, the winners, the losers, George Foreman, in such contrast, say, to presidential candidates. My favorite at the time was marvelous Marvin Hagler, such a marvelous face, a sort of a pure essence, the pure, perfect boxing physique. He died recently. But he always seemed, when I saw him in an interview, exactly the same, a generous man who knew himself. Very powerful. And maybe it is the self-knowledge, the power of the self-knowledge I'm drawn to. Maybe I identify, especially in my stage days, theater stage days, the days of my courage with the demons of ambition, which I must have had the ambition to make it fly, the only ambition worth the word, not to seem to be, but to be. I had seen actors do this, other actors do this, not many, but they were the ones I admired. They stepped into the ring, onto the stage. It is not natural, one seems to say. Even in the middle of my run of Hamlet, I knew I was spending something finite. That it would end, and it did. The ambition. Or it changed. Something was arrived at during Hamlet, and I knew I'd not need to pass that way again. 
There are, were other ways to pass, but not this one anymore. My work changed. I changed as a thing. I had arrived somewhere. The terrain had changed, and I was in a strange land. And not because it was, not because it was a famous part at all, but something. Maybe Shakespeare knew what he was doing. Probably not. But I think in a company of actors, maybe once a boy plays Hamlet, he should never play a boy again. Hmm. It felt as if the true person, one's true person, ageless, was called forth, called upon, and boyhood, boyhood was no longer an option. Falstaff was next, Mark, next Mark Antony, actually. The ambition to make it fly, however, is bottomless, to take the stage and to be taken by it, the place one admits because one strangely wants and needs to, maybe just to sleep well. Even now I feel it, doing mostly film and television, the terror, the thrill, then the big untroubled sleep. And it suddenly occurs to me that after Hamlet, after Hamlet, one might be ready to take on the great female roles, the mature female roles. Rosalind, I believe, it seems to me, is the first of those, and a young Hamlet could still play Rosalind. Anyway, etc., etc. I've done some work recently on Shakespeare, and it's really interesting to consider, for instance, the great women in Richard III, how they were played by men, and how profound that is, or must have been. Anyway, back to the boxers. And Sugar Ray, the special one, may, much was made of him in the documentary. A man of skills, I'm sure, but an essential bore unto whom the media projected greatness. They really missed Muhammad Ali. If they ever knew greatness, which I doubt, Ali Fading had drawn accolades from brilliant persons of his day. The media were all stunned by him or hated him according to their limitations. A slight aside or a digression. I flew from New Orleans to New York yesterday. At the New Orleans end, a young woman, United Airlines representative, I don't know the title, they take tickets when you board, prepped us for a full flight. She was brilliant, funny, chiding us about our fat carry-on luggage with those extra shoes, demanding that we step up to be collective, to think of others and consider it for a change instead of just thinking of ourselves. She was hysterical. I heard a sort of hissing behind me, turned around, a 30-something red-faced white woman who was beside herself with indignation that this young black woman could get away with this gorgeous rant. The rest of us were laughing which is really the point of this essay. Why are we pointed towards such failures in stuff to choose as leaders? Why do we agree? Why are we that white woman who it must be said to her credit did eventually succumb to the other's charm, which was overwhelming? Why do we attend to such blatant examples like Donald Trump, who is somehow a totally successful cartoon? We have been conditioned to even those who oppose him <laughs> somehow 
take him seriously. We've been conditioned to believe in cartoons. And many of our industries that control our lives push this narrative. We do this because we have inherited, been indoctrinated to seek shelter in our own reassuring sense of mediocrity. A brilliant, probably not college graduate creature regaled 150 people at a crowded airport for half an hour, not even self-consciously. Just bravely, just naturally, generously. To be a man today, as one sees in airports, is to be a successful fake. The screamer would be Mike Pence. Anyone who votes for such a strange contortion must have a deeply different experience of life than mine. His religiosity, incomprehensible to me. What is it? Faux Jesus, entirely void of Zeus energy. So in a sense, the anti-Trump, except Trump macho, is as deep as his hairspray. Two performances, one constituency. We're going to see, aren't we? The Democrats, to their credit, rarely do this. They are caught in some ambiguous netherworld. Bill Clinton and Obama, such talent, but shallow, perhaps. The Alcibiades vein is rich. Gary Hart, maybe Bill. Joe, well, Joe Biden registers as the real thing to me. I do like him. I do treasure him. That he or any of his brothers do evil things abroad. I have to say, well, they are Americans and America does evil things abroad. It goes comes with the territory. So we take that load. Republicans do evil things at home. That is systemic that a huge majority of people are pro-Roe and gun control is throttled by our non-democracy by design from founding because the Republican Party is a minority party. And the lack of admission, the inability to say it needs fixing, that it is ludicrous that two senators come from a state with 40 million people, and two senators come from a state with one million people. The inability to say it needs fixing is a crime committed against a justice by ourselves. Back to the phony fellows. The Sugar Rays. Reagan, oh my, I wasn't in country and laughed overseas, but he was at least good at his fakery, as good as the actor he was, a sort of Joe perhaps, but one feels the Democrats' irritation with Joe's blue collar. Indeed, their condescending irritation with blue collary in general is mortal. Their losses in that constituency are no mystery. I suppose as an actor, I'm sensitive to inauthenticity. Some are not, but I am. It is our hardest task. There is a lot of work for me right now in oppressive and oppressed Slavs. It's an accident of my face. It is paying my wage right now. I had a day on set recently with the real deal, an Ossetian, a remarkable young man, a huge effortless presence, humor, and an English vocabulary shame the vocabulary to shame the Ivy Leagues. And in my experience, this is not an accident of a rare person. An individual. It looks like he comes from a culture that allows and likes rareness. 
So, who exactly are Sugar Ray and Mike Pence playing to? To who we think we are? That's pathetic. The person we have constructed from advertising and have advertised to ourselves as real. An encounter with realness is a traumatizing shock to most of us. Our soft fantasy version of the real may really be connected to our mass murderings, reality screaming to be let in, slightly deviant personalities, historically very useful people demanding some room in a horrible way. Once again, our collective fault. I know I spent some time in southern churches that provided nothing but constraint to the menfolk and deep ecstatic frustration to its women. The men were ossified, turned to salt. Their hero, the Jesus, so far beyond their psyches, the only relationship possible was a craven belief. Poor fellows. But it did end up an addiction less lethal than chemicals, but twice as oppressive. To them, I guess, Pence is a martyr, a representative fellow sufferer who calls his wife mother. It is really no wonder the Republican believes Democrats are sexual deviants so easily. They are obsessed with it themselves, especially the child kind, and like Catholic priests, it makes them insane. Trump, who gets away with it, or Pence, who wouldn't dare it. It was an interesting part of the documentary, The Wives of the Boxers, not touched on much, but when they entered, one wondered what marvellous persons we choose not to focus our needy attentions on. And what does happen indeed in a role model world when the peak is to be as artificial as a president? What medievalism we drift into when journaling the first lady world. At least the royal myth has some passion. Prince Charles could never be an American president, not because of Camilla, but because of the glorious mess that was Diana. That Dionysian mess England so obviously conjured to balance its own artificial self. He is the god, by the way, the West has banished the irrational. He is the anti-Christian, not the antichrist, that is the Christian church herself. Dionysus is satanic, really, the part of the psyche Christianity just denies, and it tells us this denial leads us to the fullness of life. It doesn't. See Catholic priests, American mass shooters, and crusades in general, the truth of all modern war, for what you create when you deny Dionysus. From the divine to the homicidal, the gun issue is just the denial that we are all insane, sometimes, somehow, and it's good for us to be so. When someone says you are being irrational, they are saying you're being human. I love this guy, this Beto O'Rourke, altogether. But answer me this, would any modern person accept that she or he has been rejected by a gun club because they were mentally unstable? Times have changed. The truth is it should be a catch-22. If you want to own a gun and you don't live among grizzly bears, that should be grounds for rejecting your application. Someone has to inject this into the debate. The myth of the law-abiding citizen is so corrupting. I'm better than you are. It is the cornerstone of all, of all the European gun laws, the Australian laws, that we are capable of all of us, of going off and committing atrocity. We all have bad days. 
America doesn't understand this because we believe man is author of his or herself. Americans are by and large artificial. It's not a criticism. It has nothing. To, it's a choice. It has nothing to do with what might be, with talent or capacity. It has to do mostly with never leaving the high school of the mind. We value artificiality. We cannot leave because we're not ready high school and there's no place to go. There is a slim possibility when young people go to war. I am serious. But now there is no place to return after the war. Perhaps this is why the veteran suffers, suffers so. If one is forged in that crucible, the one of war, what does one do with who one has become? A door has been opened, but there is nothing on the other side. They are left unreflected, Hamlet-like. I'm not a fan of war. I'm not encouraging war. But it is the only rite of passage we have allowed to exist. It's probably why we do it so often, despite its disastrous outcomes, reaching blindly for something necessary, vital, but constrained by its unrealistic, romantic saturation in Jesus in the West. Trust me, Tony Blair, George Bush, soldiering for Jesus. Soldiering for Jesus is a ridiculous distortion, but we need to soldier for something. In all senses, the Gulf War was not about oil. It was time for a new generation to try desperately for adulthood. It didn't work. I wish I wish we listened to these people more. As soon as they come out, sit them down, hear what they have to say to their attitudes towards guns and love and loyalty. Our ancestors and our holy places, O Europe, are not here. Or even there, we made ruins of that ancestry, we Europeans. The popes made them pagan. We don't seek truth. We seek affirmation that our invention is working. And I doubt this was ever a harmless delusion. How the culture still insists Sugar Ray Leonard is impressive. He won fights but was otherwise pretty phony, which is why we, the masses, were invited to admire him. He is like us and pretty. Not Ali. Not that ridiculous genius. But then neither are we geniuses. It's not Sugar's fault. I don't know him, so I'm, I am unfair. But all the microphones turned to him like they turned to Trump. And we turned the microphones, not Sugar. For depth and authenticity, usually something boxers gain naturally because of what they do. He is so much less than Hagler, Hearns, Jan Frazier, Listen, Ali, etc. So the connection, I hear you ask. The gun issue is a great self-confrontation possibility. But you can only confront self if you have one. If religion has not displaced it, which is precisely what religion does. That was a momentous day in history when Constantine co-opted Christianity's brainwashing capabilities into the great nihilism of Romanism. No greater marriage was ever made in the hell of our imaginations. Christian thinkers will tell you that the nihilism was because it was pagan, Rome. That the one God brought the light. This does not stand up. But scholars are going to skull. 
The tradition of scholars is monkish. Contemplation over experience, myth over truth. And I much prefer myth myself, but I do know the difference. And as I grow old, I find there is such a delightful variety of truth that it may as well be myth. It shatters the absolutes silly people need and insist upon. And so never get beyond the need. Now, there are people I admire greatly. Christopher Hedges, Tom Holland, tremendous people who insist to me, who insist Christ and Christianity uncorrupted is our great missed opportunity. But I think this might be because Jesus is the perfect scholar like they are. The temptations in the wilderness are perfect and allows us to disregard the real person of genius who drinks too much or is sexual. The over-drinking, over-eating Orson Welles or Marlon Brando is not some paragon either, but he is connected to the whole of humanity by his excess. My Jesus, if I thought about him, made him up, which we all do, I hope, would be a man of excess. Slightly mad in the wilderness, not giving in, but having an obsession that allows him to resist the devil. Resisting the offers of power over others is not hard, but if Satan had offered me a vacation, he'd have had me. Not an escape from the responsibility of being Jesus, but the option to be elsewhere, to be something other than a Messiah as a job description. Being the Messiah doesn't allow for much fascination with others, with Mary or Judas, so he becomes our sort of boss model, our spiritual CEO. Still, Hedges and Holland are so valuable to me, so brave that I don't really care how they got there. That would be my byword. I don't care how you got there, that you stood up against the immense stupidity of the lazy culture, the shallow one, the unfound one, the fearful one. That is totally sufficient for me. Someone reminded me the other day of the symbolic meaning of the resurrection myth of something dying in the self because it was ready and something new being born. Oh, that we really felt this way. We would thank Herod and Pilate. I might have even come to that on my own during my 20s when I had a bout of Jesus fascination. Then an Ar Armenian archbishop let me know in no uncertain terms that my version was most definitely not Christian. He was of the obedience over understanding school. And how more and how much more scholastic can you get? Just accept that this is right. This is the truth. Well, okay, but how do you know? How did you get there? It really amounts to homosexuality as a sin, unnatural. No, it isn't. It just makes you uncomfortable. How much scholarship is just the proscription of what makes us uncomfortable? How much of it is the natural assistance that what made you was the right stuff which makes you the right stuff? And right there, belief displaces knowledge. The knowledge we are born with before we understand the manic insistences of our elders. Neurotic insistences of our elders, I remember oh so well. It should be said to Ted Cruz that what a community that believes in a literal resurrection, a virgin birth and 6,000 years of history knows about mental health could be writ on the head of a pin. 
seen only through the eye of a needle. Mix an AR-15, be honest, with the end of days, and I think we have a calm, rational interstate, don't you? I will bet heavily there is a direct connection between the gun and this rather schizoid apocalyptic religion. I have researched the option, religion and mass murderers, and it is conspicuously, suspiciously hard to research. The scholars go as far as religious hatred as a motive, but who hates a religion but another religion? Actually, I'm not being transparent. I'm not an atheist, so there is probably religion running around my system all the time. But it is not the monotheistic kind we arrogantly assume being monotheist indoctrinated to be the only religion. I read the other day, uh, Bertrand Russell, that fanatical beliefs, zealous evangelizing stuff, show great doubt in the believer. Monotheism's greatest damage is in its horribly narrow imagining of what life is, what a good person is. It is unbalanced by design. It is from the neck up, fanatical, judgmental, and oppressive by design. I have said enough on monotheists, truly, but it keeps on at me. <laughs> Most recently connected to the killers we keep producing. And the first thing an insane culture does is accuse the individual of insanity. An insane cultural collective, a fascist collective, accuses the individual of insanity, ostracizing, banishing. And condemning the mentally other is an ancient habit of Christianity, scapegoating other communities, accepting other beliefs, others' insanities is not your thing. You are, disease, you are the diseased one, the rest of us, have had to put up with for so long. These days indeed are ending. What do you do with your madness, boss? Zorba the Greek asked his chilly white English boss. Oh, well, dear boy, I'm English, so I am um, deny it. And then imagine that, you know, the rest of the world is wrong. Yes, you see, it works very well. Colonial, don't you know? Now, once that sky clears up, I'm not holding my breath. We might see clearly that Governor Abbott out Putin's Putin. Perfect name, Abbott. Christians competing, oh, what a hideous sight. Putin and Governor Abbott are devout Christians, both. Dionysus, help us all. God of madness, dance, and gender benders, LOL. But I digress. Back to the leader thing. The other day, the 92nd Street Y sent me a request for money to support their current slate of guests. They all, it turns out, are TV news personalities. They asked my opinion of what they do. It is a usual attachment these days. They ask you for money, then ask you your opinion of what they do. I wonder, since I did not send money, if my opinion got through. They were challenging me in some way, daring me to criticize the 92nd Street Y and its mission. If I sent money, I would approve. If I did not, I'm a Philistine. Well, hello, Philistia. Why are we having Katie Turr as a guest? She's on television an hour every day. I think she's fab. But she reveals her thoughts on TV every day. And they are undistinguished. 
She is an, an attractive, articulate person with nothing original to say. So why would I tune into the broadcast, let alone give 92nd Street Y some money? The answer is implicit. She's famous. Steve Kerr just texted me, the basketball player, asking for money. He's famous too. But I saw him on TV the other day be very passionate, irrational, about the gun issue. He was asking for money for the Brady gun control people. Steve and Brady succeeded with me where 92nd Street and Katie did not. He did a deed. She represents something. Maybe because he was a competitive athlete, I respect him, because I know he has been through something, the fire of competition, I don't know. He's very articulate and passionate in what he says and how he says it. I like this, and should I be looking for leadership, he would be a great candidate, but I am not looking for leadership. The institution of leadership assumes I want one. I don't think I do. Do you? I would like to participate, contribute to the discussion that leads to a decision that we then abide by. This would be democracy to me, but this is not what we have. The leader assumes I give him or her power to speak for me, to contribute to the discussion for me. This is not what I have in mind. And honestly, is it even a compromise of what I have in mind? No, not a good one. And it might be that we are just simply in a habit of selling from Sugar Ray to Katie Turr. I am only saying no. Why is there this market? I feel I grew up keen on leaders, role models, examples. I'm still pretty stunned by Bob Dylan, but I listen to Desolation Row and the need is met. I don't need to watch him on the 92nd Street. Why? Mostly because of what he will be asked by a wire. He answers my questions of him in his songs. Maybe Marvin and Tommy answer my needs in their boxing. I don't know. I just don't feel the need to intrude. Coriolanus has a great line. Were I anything but what I am, I would wish me only he. Or Alexander, to his general, his general Parmenian says, if I were you, I would attack tomorrow. Alexander replies, if I were Parmenian, so would I. But I am I. We attack tonight. This is not ego. This is self. Where this brings me is to the passion for leaders generally and for Donald Trump specifically or Chuck Schumer, etc., or God maybe, the great protector. It isn't so much the leader specifically, though there is something in Trump that is so odious without the Sugar Ray skills even, so unoriginal, such a sort of waste of DNA that this appeal mystifies me. Or is it that people feel that type of appeal at all? I, I watched some actors discussing meeting and working with Laurence Olivier. He obviously cast a spell and he knew it. And he was a Marvin Hagler all his long life. A person to marvel at, to engage with on stage. An explorer, a person to celebrate in knowing, but not one who overtakes you. Some, pers some leadership does begin to look like the love of an obsessive lover. The leader is the one who is stalked. It isn't the stalked's fault. And aren't the religious faith, religiously faithful really only stalkers? Look through the usual profiles. Identical. 
except the stalked in religion is happy to be stalked. The boxing thing is interesting, again, as I have said, because the merit is so obvious, so patent and undeniable, so hard won. The boxer's so briefly triumphant. I am the greatest, then humbled afterward, not even by defeat, but by the knowledge of what it takes to show up. These are my thoughts, and they are pretty endless, but one meets in time people so devoted and so entranced by others so dedicated to others' needs. I wonder if the 92nd Street Y is playing that card. We were invited early this year to view movies and nominate for the SAG Awards. Mostly they were sent to us as DVDs or links, but sometimes they invited us to a showing in New York and said the stars would be there for Q&A. I love Q&As. I think they are a missing link, though in fact they turn out to be a, a lot of flattery, really. What if I had seen a Matt Damon movie, a truly glorious actor, had driven in, parked, had dinner, seen the movie, and not liked it? Could I say in the Q&A, Matt, what happened? No, I'd be insane. So, uh, trust me, it's so much better to enjoy or not enjoy in private. So what is the motivation exactly of this offer? Come to see the movie. The stars will be there. And what's their motivation? It's so weird. I was very happy when Biden and Harris won. I celebrated at home, though the interminable fireworks did ruin it as if Trump were exploding at them, as in fact he did. It was a heartfelt celebration. For me, it was symbolism, and they both do have irresistible smiles, a characteristics of Democrats. I do not remember Lyndon Johnson laugh or smile, but all the others in my life were really good laughers. This has significance for me, being a Dionysian. Oh, Reagan could smile but the rest had smirks or barks. Remember Pat Buchanan? He barked. Anyway, it is an interesting cultural expectation, like imagining we happily place ourselves on the social levels the culture assigns us. I work in the movie TV industry these days. Now I am treated as the cut above. Another actor signs out as he finishes shooting. They sign me out when I am out of costume and about to get in my car. Small, but niggling. Everybody is nice to you. You are told, you are told to cut in on the lunch line. Why? The crew works much harder than I do. So I imagine the privileged get used to the smiling faces direct, direct, directed at them always and get very grumpy when they don't see smiles. Strange. I'm not successful enough for it to be habit, but there is a perk. It concentrates one's interest in others. I have found in strangers, and some people just blossom with it, share with you what they might not normally share. This is a great thing to be a part of. It's a privilege. A perk, indeed. Part of the art, maybe. This is a separate essay. essay. I know this is a long one, but screw it. A Facebook post, much of it already covered. But here, 
a standalone too. I think having asked around that the desire to possess the means to kill other people and other living things in general seems to be quite universal. I don't have this desire, so I cannot truthfully say I understand it. I find it more than a little sad, in fact, and a pity for the people who feel this way, have this need. But then they are a multitude. There are a multitude of these sadnesses. Like I'm sad that people are starving or are in abusive relationships. I suffer from neither and count myself lucky. The only emotional investment I have in this is the lying. The gun controllers seem to be very comfy if the right people have smaller guns with less ammo. The point knobheads like Cruz make is actually true. Most of the proposed measures would not have stopped the recent murderous 18-year-olds. I do not believe there are special people, law-abiding citizens, who buy guns to defend themselves, not, by the way, in the Second Amendment, and then just don't use them to defend themselves. I believe they fully intend to defend themselves should the needs, need arise, the safe unlocked, the children somewhere else, the intruder standing still, etc., etc. These are law-abiding. No, these are 19th century British aristocrats, licensed to kill the lower orders. They bought the gun intending to act as a vigilante law-abiding citizens. Once again, I do not have the adequate, adequate fear to make this purchase. And the other models, Europe, Australia, have decided not to indulge this desire or fear. America or Scalia, it is his desire. It is a desire he shared being a short chap and a hunter has interpreted the Second Amendment to indulge the desire which amounts to either a fetish or a license to vigilantism. <laughs> Marco Rubio told the truth when he said, I don't support the NRA because I agree with them. I support them because they agree with me. Leaders of the right, perhaps the left, seek office because they are zealots. They are not neutral people caving to an extremist population. That is a democratic fantasy. The, they are extremists inciting our extremisms. Grasping this clarifies an awful lot of mumbo-jumbo. I guess once a right is given, no matter how lacking in basic reading comprehension, reading only the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, ignoring all the conditional phrases, it is very hard to take away a right once it is given. Like I said, I will never understand the a desire to own this tool, and several people I love and respect have this desire. I think the reason there has been no meaningful gun reform is that most people want the tool. They just want to assuage their uneasiness by having more control than we do at the moment. I'm for that, I guess. But then again and again, I'm not afraid someone will shoot me. And not stupid enough to imagine my possessing a gun will make that shooting less likely or less deadly. And that is what the law-abiding citizen believes. And that is insane. Condemning the ment mentally other is an ancient habit of Christianity. Scapegoating other communities, accepting other beliefs, other insanities is not your thing. But here's the hitch, the boogaloo. I accept yours. 
I know there is nothing finer than a little mumbo-jumbo in the night. I have all kinds of wee beliefs which I keep quiet about because I know you. And here's the other foot drop. They serve me just as well, silent and inner, in fact better than if I was condemning you and slapping an old fine print book while condemning. As for separation of church and state, the monastic scholars solemnly preach about it is as real as the ark on Ararat. Whether your creator is Sir Richard Attenborough or higher power, he or it, according to T. Jefferson, he, it, endowed you with them, the rights. He, is, he, it, is the source of your rights and equality. Atheists can chuckle and overlook their demigods' oversight. They do that a lot, Hitchens did. But to a non-believer, they are just plain wrong. If you don't see the hand of the Christian maker in the relentless mantra of Western superiority vis-a-vis -vis Russia, I hope your God does exist because there is no hope otherwise. In this sense, the Republican wingnut is the true descendant of the founders without the flowery vocabulary, the best tool in the Western toolbox, the subtlety of English, the most mutt of languages, n'est-ce pas? Now it is getting clear that you are the diseased one of the rest the rest of us have to put up with for so long, Mr. Rabbit. What a perfect name. Now those days indeed are ending. Once that sky clears up, I'm not holding my breath. We might see clearly that Governor Abbott outputins Putin. Christians competing over a hideous sight. Dionysus help us all. God of madness, dance and androgyny, lol. I think that's a repeat. The first thing an insane culture collective does is accuse the individual of insanity. An, insect, an insane cultural collective, like the Nazis, redefines insanity. If you are not insane, you don't fit. So the insane become the uninsane become insane. And that is what we have here. It's a fun paradox. What is wrong with me versus what is wrong with society? It used to distinguish American from English drama. The first is the easier path, of course. Now America's drama focuses almost completely on the crazy person. So mass murderers must be crazy. Or sitting in Oklahoma with a drone button. Choose.